He Gets Us campaign is a campaign that produces televised videos that focus on Christ. Uh, they focus on how Jesus gets our lives because he was human too. We're going to watch one that was shown, I think it's been recent, it was shown yesterday during the college football playoffs about Jesus was a refugee too. There was a mother and a father who had a son. They lived in a small village and didn't have much money, but they were happy. One day, they heard the head of their country was sending soldiers to their town because he thought they were part of an insurrection. The young family decided to flee. They grabbed only what they could carry and ran. They hiked for days, wondering if soldiers might still be following them. They were scared, hungry, and exhausted. They were far away from the atrocities taking place in Bethlehem. That's all Mary and Joseph wanted, a safe place to call home. Jesus' birth means God with us. And we're going to focus on ways that Jesus sympathizes and understands us because he became an embodied spirit being as we are. And begin by thinking about Jesus understands what it's like to deal with family crisis. Um, here we go. Matthew chapter 2 says, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who was born King of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. The Magi were wise men from the east, most likely Persia, where Israel went into captivity to Babylon. They were astrologers who believed that God showed signs in the heavens. And these Persian astrologers followed the star 900 miles to see where the Christ child was. It would have taken anywhere from months to years to make this trip. Think about who God invited to witness Jesus' birth. No, they were Jewish shepherds, and uh, shepherds were not esteemed in Israel. The pious were forbidden to buy wool, milk, or meat from shepherds. There were not only Jewish shepherds, but Persian astrologers. Astrology was forbidden in Jewish law. When you look at the Bible, it seems one of the things that God is almost offensively inclusive. He doesn't just include us in his purposes, he includes them. And when you think of some of the parables that are the most difficult ones to swallow, about the one where the workers who, they only work the last hour of the day and they get the same wage as those who work the whole day, or the prodigal son who goes off and squanders his life and, and he ends up being welcomed back. Um, this is what God seems to be, and 
Herod reacts to this news that the Magi have come to welcome this king. It says, when King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. Herod was very insecure in his role as king. He was put in place by the Roman government and he was always afraid that somebody was going to usurp his throne. Caesar Augustus, I think it was commenting on him that it's easier to be Herod's sow than Herod's son because of how reactive he was. He had several wives and sons, some of whom he murdered because of his fear that they were plotting against him and that they were planning to take his throne. The Magi had come to worship the newborn king, but when King Herod hears of it, he becomes disturbed at this threat to his rule, and he took steps immediately to eliminate the threat. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Christ was to be born. In Bethlehem and Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written, but you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. The Jewish experts that Herod summoned, they told him that the Messiah was to be born in Bethlehem. They felt that the Messiah was going to be a political ruler. That's what the Jews believed, as, as we understand. He wasn't to be a political ruler, but something far different. But it's Micah that ends up prophesying be you, Bethlehem Ephratah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, one of you will come for me, one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient time. I heard that, that there's a number of prophecies in the Old Testament that predict who the Messiah will be. And I believe that somebody did a statistical uh, assessment of how possible it would be for one person to fulfill, I believe it's even seven or nine of the prophecies. And I believe what it was is this, if you take quarters and spread them over the surface of the area of Texas for a foot deep. So a foot deep quarters across the the whole area of Texas, and then take someone and then put a red dot in one of these pieces and throw it somewhere in the midst of that. The chance that someone could fulfill, I believe nine of these prophecies would be the chance that a person could walk into Texas, pluck up the coin, and then that would be the right coin, the one with the dot on on it. Um, the fact that Jesus fulfilled the prophecies is amazing. Um, and that's what Micah predicts that he would be born in Bethlehem, Ephrata. And then it says, Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go make a careful search for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I may go and worship him. 
By the time Herod secretly summons the Magi, he has already concocted a scheme to murder Jesus. He asks about he asked the Magi to search carefully for the child and report his whereabouts so that Herod can go and worship him as well. Then he sends them off to Bethlehem, and Bethlehem is only about five miles away. So he sends the Magi away, sends them five miles away to go to Bethlehem. He f- believes that they're going to find him, and when he finds him, then his plot will be really easy to accomplish. He'll just go find the child and, and eliminate him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way. And the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and of incense and of myrrh. We have, when you see the 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 creatures, the uh, depictions of what it was like the night that Jesus was born, um, you see the the three kings that come. We really don't know that they were kings. In fact, that they were more like astrologers. And the wise men probably don't visit Jesus the night of his birth. Uh, Their journey, 900-mile journey, would take months, maybe even years to make. Um, And what we find is that they had relocated to a house by the time the Magi come. So they weren't in the major. Jesus not in the major. He's probably a toddler by this time, one or two. We don't know exactly how. But they had relocated to a house, and before they, these magi unwittingly participate in Herod's scheme, the magi are warned by God in a dream not to go back to Herod. As in having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet out of Egypt. I called my son. I want you to think about what it would have been like. Um, Herod's henchmen bearing down on Bethlehem and Joseph and Mary flee with their young child to Egypt. Imagine the circumstances. Um, they grab their toddler at this time and whatever they can carry on their backs and run for the border. There was no safety for them in their homeland. The only option was to seek out refuge in foreign soil. Under the cover of darkness, they leave at night. Joseph, Mary, and Jesus withdraw to Egypt. Egypt is a natural place to go because Herod has no jurisdiction there. And so if they can just make it across the border, then they can be safe. Most likely there were a number of Jews that lived in Egypt and so that they could go there and find refuge among them. We don't know exactly how long it would take. It would take probably close to a month to make a trip like that. And we don't know much about their time in Egypt. 
we can imagine that they crossed the border and stayed hidden for as long as possible. We know that they were young. They didn't have a lot of money. They had the gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Perhaps they took that with them, and that provided them with some options to be able to purchase some things. But it's unlikely that Mary or Joseph spoke, spoke Egyptian. So they crossed the border, and they were in a country that wasn't theirs, speaking a language that they didn't understand. It's possible that they sought help and shelter from other Jewish communities scattered throughout Egypt, and there would have been them. They might have even found and stayed in one of the synagogues that we know were in Egypt at the time, but they are refugees from Israel. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious, and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and younger in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Then what was said to the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. We know the Christmas story. We know the star and the shepherds and the wise men and the manger. This horrific chapter in the story is often neglected. After the Magi from the East visited Mary and Joseph, King Herod requested that they disclose where young Jesus resided. But being warned in a dream, wise men departed a different way without telling the king of Jesus' whereabouts. Enraged and threatened by a new potential ruler, Herod ordered all males in Bethlehem and the vicinity, two years old or younger, to be killed. This atrocity was in keeping with Herod's usual manner of guarding his throne from any, any political usurpers. We don't know how many children that would have been massacred, but Bethlehem was a town of about 1,400, and then if you take the vicinity, certainly there would have been hundreds of children who were wiped out by him. Um, however, the innocence of the victims, again, underscores the outrageous nature of this heinous act, even though there might not be thousands, there were hundreds of children that were wiped out. And it says, after Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, get up, take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel. For those who are trying to take the child's life are dead. So he got up, took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. But when they heard that Archelaus was reigning in Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. Archelaus was like his father. And there were other sons of Herod who were more reasonable. And what Joseph understands, that he can't go back to Bethlehem. That's where Archelaus reigns, and he's going to continue to this kind of purge. So it says, having been warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee, and he went and lived in a town called Nazareth, so was fulfilled what was said to the prophets. He will be called 
a Nazarene. They remain in Egypt until Herod dies and they receive another angelic revelation. After King Herod's death, Joseph and Mary return to Israel. Because of political danger, common sense, and the angelic warning, Joseph decides he won't settle in Bethlehem. That's too dangerous. So he makes the trip and he ends up living and residing in Nazareth. And Jesus then is prophesied to be called the Nazarene. And these are one of the many prophecies that, that Jesus miraculously fulfills. So what we find is a couple of things then that Joseph is making decisions that he thinks are prudent. I can't stay in Bethlehem. I need to go to Nazareth. And he is making these decisions. And as he is doing so, God is fulfilling his divine purpose. The fact that he went to Egypt in the face says, out of Egypt, I will call my son. And so that's what we find biblically. We find people making decisions in real time, yet God is overseeing the decisions so that they fulfill the things he has written about who this Messiah, the son of God, will be. We see divine sovereignty. We see people being dispatched out of Israel. And we've talked about that before. The word for scattered. And when we think of what it must have been like for Joseph and Mary under the cover of night to scatter and to leave where they were, to leave Bethlehem and to go somewhere else, we imagine the tension they felt. We imagine that Jesus probably would have understood that tension. Children have a way of picking things up. We don't know what Jesus felt and thought. We know that he was placed into a family. He was a child. And it's logical to assume that when he experiences tension, maybe even in utero, or certainly when they are fleeing, that Jesus catches the idea that things aren't going well, and he understands what it's like to be displaced. He trusts God. And he trusted him from early on, yet he was not so divine that he didn't feel the feelings that we feel, the tension that a family would feel, his understanding that his mother and father are scared. We're going to a place where I don't know people. We have to hide. He understood what this felt like. We see two things then here that are always balanced out. If you want to look at the world through God's lenses, you got to put two lenses on like binoculars. You know the way it is with binoculars. There are two separate lenses, but when you look through them, they overlap and they create a picture. The lenses that we have to use to see things as God does, we have to see through the lens of God's sovereignty and the lens of God's sympathy. His sovereignty and his sympathy, both of these things, they 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 come together to create this, this image. Again, Sovereignty, we see God directing events to accomplish his divine purpose. Joseph running from Herod and God basing them in Nazareth. We not only see sovereignty, though, we see sympathy. Jesus understands what it's like to be a spirit housed in a body, depending on the politics in terms of those coming over the border. This the video might make a statement that would lead to believe that that either favors or doesn't favor it. At any rate, the point is not that, but that Jesus understands what it's like to be an outsider. He understands what it's like to not belong, to be dismissed, 
to be in danger, to be on the run. He understands that. He sympathizes with us. And that's something that he was meant to accomplish. Look what it says. Surely it is not angels he helps, speaking of God, but Abraham's descendants. For this reason, he had to be made like his brothers in every way. Angels are unembodied spirit beings. An angel doesn't understand what it's like to have a body. Jesus came not to help angels, but to help people like you and I, embodied spirit beings. We are spirit beings that are housed in a body. And because we are housed in a body, we experience emotions that come from having these two operating systems clash. We experience tension and fear. We feel like outsiders. We feel displaced. Sometimes we feel comfortable. Sometimes we feel uncomfortable. Jesus had to come and experience what we experience so that he could say to you, I know exactly how that feels. Why do we need to know that? Why do we need to know that Jesus understands how we feel? It's not just enough to know that God is sovereign. We can believe that God is sovereign and then shy away from him. God doesn't want us to be a master to slave relationship. He wants us to be a son and daughter to father. And when that happens, the father opens the relationship between a father and a child is very different from a master and a slave. He sent his son so that we would understand that he sympathizes. Denise, when she was, she told the story, was when we were thinking about the Ten Commitments and God sympathizes with us, told the story, um, trying to illustrate what it would have been like. Imagine that she was in a classroom and she was called out of the classroom by to the principal's office. And as she's leaving the classroom to go to the principal's office, not really thrilled about that. And again, this is just an illustration. Um, her brother is there. Her brother's a year younger, and she sees him, and so he ended up accompanying her to go to the principal's office. And gets to the door, and she lets her go in, and he goes away. She enters the principal's office, they talk, and it wasn't as bad as she thought. Then she would say to the principal, you know, it, I was kind of afraid to come here, but uh, my brother uh, met me outside the door to my classroom, and he walked with me. And that made it easier to come here. And the principal saying, I know, I sent him. That's what Jesus, the Father sent the Son so that we would know that he sympathizes with us, understands what it's like to be a spirit being housed in an immortal body. And because we understand that, it allows us to open our heart to him. When we come to the Father, we not only, we don't just come to somebody who's sovereign, we come to somebody who's sympathetic. God with us. And in the beginning, on the run. Um, living in a strange place, away from home. Jesus knows what it's like to feel like an outsider. It must be that the impact of being an outsider never left Jesus. It, we can see it in his compassion toward others who were labeled outsiders. Samaritans, lepers, tax collectors, sinners. He felt compassion for the excluded. The word for compassion comes from this Greek word, splachna. Splachna. 
The word means guts. It means it when and what it means is that when Jesus experienced somebody who was an outsider, it, it, it hit him in the stomach. It was something that, that created a very strong reaction because he knows what it's like to be an outsider. There's good news. The good news is that Jesus understands what it's like to be an outsider, and he makes a place for us. He makes a place for us. The thing that's sometimes a little bit hard about God, he just doesn't make a place for us makes a place for them as well. Those individuals that we might not think he should make a place for. Uh, let's stand for closing prayer. Father, thank you for your sympathy and your sovereignty. And because Jesus came to help embodied spirit beings like us and not angels, he had to become like us. God with us. He had to understand things that we go through because your purpose was not that we regard you as a master, but that we would regard you as a father. And it's necessary for us to understand that you sympathize with what it's like to be embodied. That's why you sent your son to inhabit a body. And once Jesus entered the womb became an embodied spirit being. He never left that body. He exists in that body now, in a mortal body, but a body nonetheless, and that's the state that we're going to be in. Now, you direct our attention to your sympathy and your sovereignty. Both are necessary. Thanks for those. You're sovereign enough that we can trust you. Sympathetic enough that we can be open with you. Thanks for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Happy New Year.